0: Book 4, Chapter 8 of Clara Vaughan, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra. Clara Vaughan, Volume 2 by R.D. Blackmore. Book 4, Chapter 8. Chapter eight my uncle's tale as repeated here will no more be broken either by my interruptions which were frequent enough or by his own pauses but will be presented in a continuous form story of edgar vaughan on the following day when I called at the house in bloomsbury then a fashionable neighbourhood to which I had been directed I was met at the threshold with power and warmth by Peter Green himself, an old acquaintance of mine, who proved to be Adelaide's brother. My nature had been too reserved for me to be friendly with him at college, but I had liked him much better than anyone else, because he was so decided and straightforward. The meeting rather surprised me, for Green is not a rare name, and so it had never occurred to me to ask the weary Adelaide whether she knew one Peter Green, a first-classman of Christchurch. Peter, who was a most hearty fellow and full like his sister of animal life, overpowered me with the weight of his gratitude, which I did not at all desire or deserve. As, in spite of your rash conclusion, my romantic Clara, I did not fall in love with Adelaide, who, besides her pithsome health and vigour, was, in many respects, astray from my fair ideal, and, more than all, was engaged long ago to the giver of the sapphire ring. I need not enlarge upon my friendship with Peter Green, whom I now began to like in real earnest. Young as he was, his father's recent death had placed him at the head of a leading mercantile house, Green, Vowler, and Green of little distaff lane and young as he was not more than seven-and-twenty his manners were formed and his character and opinions fixed as if he had seen all the ways and taken stock of the sentiments of all the civilized world present to him any complexity any conflict of probabilities any maze whose ins and outs were abroad half over the universe and if the question were practical he would see what to do in a moment. If it were theoretical, he would quietly move it aside. I have known many learned judges sum up a case most lucidly, blow away all the verbiage, balance the contradictions, illuminate all the obscurities, and finally lift from its matrix and lay in the colourless sunlight, the virgin truth, without either dross or polish. All this Peter Green seemed to have done in a moment without any effort without any reasoning process not jumping at his conclusion but making it fly to him. He possessed what an ancient writer once highly esteemed at Oxford entitles the wit universal which confers and comprises the wit of details. For this power when applied to a practical purpose a great historian employs a happy expression not welcomed by our language. He calls it the power to pontoon the emergency. Excuse my harsh translation, perhaps it is better than paraphrase. With all these business qualities, my friend was a merry and unpretentious a man as ever made a bad joke or laughed at another fellow's liberal also warm-hearted and not sarcastic in a word he was a genuine specimen of the noble english merchant who has done more to raise this country in the esteem of the world than would a thousand nelsons or wellingtons now this man discerned at a glance the wretched defects of my nature and position an active mind like his could never believe in the possibility of being happy without occupation and by occupation he meant not the chasing of butterflies or maundering after foxes but real honest anglo-saxon work work that strings the muscles or knits the hemispheres of the brain and work he would himself aye and with all his energies not the man was he to tap the table with his pipe and cry out bravo altiora a little more gin, if you please, and chalk it down to the strike. But he was the man to throw off his coat and pitch into the matter before him without many words, though with plenty of thought. Now this man, feeling deeply indebted to me and beginning to like me as my apathy and reserve went to pieces before his energy, this man, I say, cast about for some method of making me useful and happy wonderfully swift as he was in pouncing upon the right thing i believe it took him at least five minutes to find out the proper course for an impractical fellow like me and when he had found this out it took even him a week to draw the snail out of his hole years of agreeable indolence and calm objective indifference seldom ruffled except at fashionable snobbery had made of me not a sybarite or a supercilious censor, much less a waiter on fortune. But a contemplative islander, a Haitian, who had been once to Spain, and would henceforth be satisfied with the view of her caravels. But my adelantado was a man of gold and iron. Green, Vowler and Green were largely concerned in the oil and dried fruit business. They had ransacked the olive districts of continental Europe and found the price going up and the quality going down, so they wanted now to open another oil vein. Peter Green, observing my love of uncultured freedom, the only subject on which I ever grew warm and rapturous, espied the way to relieve me of some nonsense, give my slow life a Philip, and perhaps, oh climax, open a lucrative connection. He knew, for he seemed to know everything, done or undone by commerce, that there was a glorious island rich in jewels and marble and every dower of nature, and above all, teeming with olives, lemons and grapes and citrons, and that this gifted island still remained a stranger through French and Genoese ignorance to our London trade this was the island libelled by seneca idolised by its natives drenched with more blood than all the plains of emathia yet mother of heroes and conquerors of the world if that be any credit in a single word corsica once or twice indeed our countrymen have attempted to shake hands with this noble race so ruined by narrow tradition and in the end we shall doubtless succeed, as we always do, but the grain of the Corsican is almost as stubborn as our own. In fact, the staple is much the same, the fabric is very different. Bold they are, and manly, simple, generous, and most hospitable. Lovers too of their country beyond all other nations, but oh, fatal ignorance! industry to them is drudgery and labour is an outrage worse than all is the fiend of the island the cursed blood revenge just the place for you vaughan said the indomitable peter every one there is dignified as an eagle after stealing a lamb no institutions to speak of but the natural one of vendetta splendid equality majestic manhood lots of true womanhood and it does all the work that is done, which isn't saying much. Why, my dear Quixotic, the land of Sen Piero and Pauli. And where Rousseau was to legislate, only he proved too lazy, is not that the jockey for you? After all these levees and masquerades that you so much delight in, you need not scowl like a bandit. It is only because they don't want you. You are just the same as the rest, or well, why do you notice the nonsense? After all, this London frippery, Monte Catondo, will be a fresh oyster after deviled biscuits. True enough, my friend, but an oyster to be swallowed, shell and all. Well, is not that just what you want? Lime is good for squeamishness, and more than that, you are just the man we want. You can talk Italian with excellent opera style and sentiment, and you won't be long till you fraternise with the Corsicans. Perhaps they will drive out the French, who don't know what to do with it, and make you their king like Theodore of Newhoff, and then you proclaim free trade restricted to the navy of green, vowler and green. But in sober earnest, think of it, my dear Vaughan, anything is better than this cynic indolence. Some of your views will be corrected and all enlarged by travel. A common sentiment, yes, the very thing you are short of. All your expenses we pay, of course, and give you an honest salary, and all we ask of you is to explore more than a tourist would and to send us a plain description of everything. You have plenty of observation, make it useful instead of a torment to you. We know well enough the great gifts of that island, but we want to know how they lie, and how we may best get at them. Then you would expect me to make commercial arrangements. Peter laughed outright. I should rather fancy not. Somewhat queer ones they would be. Platonic, no doubt, and panissic, but not altogether adapted to double entry. Then in fact I am to go as a committee of inquiry. I have told you all we want. If you make any friends, all the better, but that we leave to yourself. Perhaps you'll grow sociable there, though the Corsican does not sing we won't go home till morning and be going home all the time. And how long would my engagement last? Till you have thoroughly traversed the country, if you stick to it so long, and then if you quit yourself well, we should commission you for Sardinia what an opening for an idle man though it would soon kill me so little to do but you may cut it short when you like plenty of our people would jump at such an offer but for a country like that we must have a thorough gentleman a coarse-mannered bagman would very soon secure the contents of a fusil. he would be kissing the corsican girls who are wonderfully lovely they say and their lover's amazingly jealous, and every man carries a gun. A timid man they despise, an insolent man they shoot, and most of our fellows are one or the other or both. But will you undertake it, yes or no, on the spot? And I ask you to say yes as a special favour to me. Then of course I say yes. When shall I go? Tomorrow, if you like. Next month, if you prefer it we can give you introductions there is no real danger for a thorough gentleman or you should not go for all the olives in europe mind we want a particular sort very long and taper virgil's ray in fact you shall have a sample of it as yet we know but one district of italy where it grows but have got scent of it in corsica glorious fellows they are if half that i hear is true glorious fellows but for their laziness and that vendetta to be brief i received very clear instructions in writing and was off for bonifacio the following week in a small swift yacht of my own a luxury to which i had always aspired and which i could now for a time afford but before i went your poor father clara protested most strongly against the scheme and even came to London in the vain hope of dissuading me. He had some deep presentiment that it would end darkly, and so indeed it did. Ned, said he once more, there are only two of us, and my dear wife is very delicate. I have been at Genoa, where those islanders are well known, and even there they are rarely spoken of, but with a cold shudder. They are a splendid race, I believe, great heroes and all that, but they shoot a man with no more compunction than they shoot a muffro. I implore you, my dear brother, not to risk the last of our family, where blood flows as freely as water. And your temper, you know, is not the best in the world. Don't go, my dear fellow, don't go. I shall have to come and avenge you. And I don't understand vendetta. Ah, me, if I had only listened to him. And yet, I don't know. After a pleasant voyage, we reached the magnificent island about the middle of May. My intention was to skirt round it from the southern extremity, taking the western side first and touching at every anchorage, whence I would make incursions and return to my little cutter, as the most convenient headquarters. Of course I should have to rough it, but what young man would think twice of that with an adventurous life before him? I will not weary you, my dear child, with a long description of Corsica. It is a land which combines all the softness and the majesty, all the wealth and barrenness, all the smile and menace of all the world beside. I could talk of it by the hour, but you want to know what I did and was done to more than what I saw. From the awful rock of Bonifazio, the streets where men should have no elbows, and the tower of Torreone, along the fantastic coast, which looks as if time were a giant rabbit, we trace the blue and spur-vexed sea, now edged with white and now with grey, and now with glowing red, until we reach that paradise of heaven, the Garden of Balagna. End of Book 4, Chapter 8